you know, I think the good thing about YC is they put a lot of urgency on you and sometimes more than you probably would have placed on yourself. Urgency to work, to talk to customers, to, um, to ideate um, and, and to validate if what you're doing is the right thing. Hey, this is something I'm really interested in. I want to see it through and I want to see where it takes me. So I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, the Saturdays and the Sundays when I could be doing anything else. And so that was one of the first things I did was as we started to get those customers, really, really try to like galvanize them into being champions for us, um, not just within their own organizations, but like with, within the broader market. Hey there, this is Sean Faulkner, one of the creators and hosts of Software Huddle. In this episode, I talk with Evans Dronova, CEO and co-founder of Nucuous, a Y Combinator graduate from 2022, focused on making it easy to deploy, build, and manage on Kubernetes. Evans and I actually used to work together at Skyflow, where he was one of the product leads, but he left the company over a year and a half ago to build Nucuous. In our conversation, we talked through his first year as CEO of a startup, how he got into Y Combinator, what that experience was like, and how he's been building the company since. I think this is a really interesting conversation for anyone that's ever thought about starting their own company. That's a journey that I took once upon a time. Evis is a super smart guy with a lot of practical advice. If you enjoyed the episode, let us know at Software Heddle on Twitter. And if you want to know more about Nucleus, you can contact Evis on Twitter at Evis Genova. All right, over to the show. Evis, welcome to the show. Sean, long time, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going well. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, let's let's start off by having you introduce yourself, since uh, since we know each other. But uh, people listening probably don't know who you, necessarily who you are. So, who are you? What do you do? And how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so my name is Evis. I'm a, I'm the founder of a company called Nucleus. Um, we do mainly a Kubernetes developer platform for small to mid sized companies. Um, so I've been working on that for for about a year. Uh, my background is sort of a mix. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. Started off doing enterprise sales right out of college, and then went more into a technical um, developer, but also sort of solutions consulting role. Um, and then most recently worked in product um, for the last few years before uh, I started at Nucleus. That's, uh, that's actually quite like the, sort of the perfect combination of skills. You had you know, sales in there, uh, developer, uh, product management, now, you know, founder, essentially, the only piece that you're missing maybe is a little stint in marketing. <laughs> you're covering essentially all of the major functional areas that you need to, to, to operationalize a business. Yeah, it's been cool. It's been, um, it's been sort of a high level goal of mine is just to kind of try a little bit of everything, you know, not, maybe not be a, a master of one thing, but be a jack of all trades. And so I've definitely tried to kind of structure my career that way, where um, I've tried a lot of different things and, and just tried to find partially what I like and, and kind of what I'm good at. Um, and I'm sure at some point, you know, maybe I'll try marketing. Maybe that's in the future at some point. All right. You can come work for me. Um, <laughs> so I want to focus our, our conversation today on sort of your, your journey as a founder. And we'll dive into the technology and engineering of Nucleus in, in a later episode. But I think a lot of people that will listen to this show, even if they're engineers today, you know, they might be thinking about one day starting a company. And I think you're in this unique position where you're still early on this path. So I imagine you have a lot of you know, interesting perspective and lessons learned through your time as a tech founder so, so far. And that will be helpful to listeners or maybe at least interesting to them. So you, as you mentioned, you've been a founder for a little over a year, around a year. But I think like, you know, speaking for myself, founding years are like dog years. So how much have you aged in the last year? Um, a lot. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> agree with that. Um, you know, it's, 
It's it's been really interesting, and I think um, like generally, I, I'm trying to some, I'm somebody who tries to be a little bit uh, more reflective and, and just look back on you know, how was the last week, the last month, um, and then definitely we just passed uh, the one year mark uh, at the end of June. So my co-founder and I, Nick, you know, we were we were kind of taking a moment to just reflect on like what is what is the last year been like, and uh, it's been really busy. Um, a lot of you know, even in the last year, a lot of those sort of like proverbial ups and downs of a startup have definitely happened. Um, but it's been the funnest thing I think I've ever done. Um, for sure. You know, every single day, it's something different. And even within a single day, you're doing so many different things. And so, um, that keeps every day interesting. Um, so definitely lots of lessons learned, lots of mistakes already made. And, uh, you know, thankfully a few accomplishments along the way. Yeah. I think that, uh, taking time to reflect is, is probably really important because I feel like a lot of times when you're in the weeds of a company or, you know, a product or whatever it is that you're working on, a lot of times you, you're only seeing the sort of the problems with what's going on right now. Like, how do I fix this thing? And you're kind of focused on that, but you need to sometimes take a step back and look at, Hey, like we've also accomplished a lot. We've, you know, gotten this far, we, you know, launched something or we have a customer or whatever it is. There's good thing, good things that have happened as well. And you need to kind of remind yourself about those things as well. Yeah. You know, I think like, that's the thing that keeps you going at the end of the day. Like, you know, as a, as an early stage founder, you just, you face a lot of friction, right? What's you're doing a lot of prospecting. Sometimes it's cold prospecting. Nobody really knows who you are, what you're doing. And so you're, you're, you're kind of like climbing this really big mountain, um, and my co-founder, Nick, has a really good analogy about this. He's like, let's just get to base camp. You know, we don't have to worry about climbing the mountain. Let's just get to the next level. And um, I think it's so important to have somebody else who, to your point, um, you know, can sort of balance you. Where I'm definitely somebody who's in the weeds and just thinking about the problem that's ahead of me. Um, and so it's important to have, you know, a partner in that, but also family and friends who, you know, can kind of help pull you out of that, too, and remind you that, um, you know, what you're doing is important and you're obviously dedicating a lot of time to it. But um, there's also, uh, you know, a family behind you and a support system behind you to help you through that. And, and that's been just extremely helpful for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And was this something that you always wanted to do? You know, did you always want to be a founder? Was that that's sort of like the, the career path that you saw for yourself? Um, you know, coming out of college, uh, it definitely wasn't. I was, uh, you know, very like science focused. I was, you know, pre-med doing biology, thinking I'm going to go to med school. I had um, had that sort of like, that was my line of sight. And then Right out of undergrad, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I was kind of starting from scratch. And at the time, I just moved out to San Francisco. And, you know, I'd come from Boston, where Boston um, isn't a huge entrepreneurial hub. It's definitely growing, but it's not there, at least not comparatively to, to San Francisco. And so I started to kind of see, like, the world of startups and venture capital and all of the, all of the sort of the fun ecosystem that happens here. And I, I was like, wow, this looks really fun and interesting. Maybe I could do this one day. But I definitely didn't have like an explicit goal, like I need to do this by this time is more of like, if it happens and, you know, I think I can do a good job at it. Great. Otherwise, let's just kind of see where this thing goes. Yeah, I do think that there's there's something about sort of working in the Bay Area. There is this pull and also you're surrounded by other people. You're, you're going to run into BBCly people who have right. started companies or are interested in starting companies. I imagine like it'd be similar if you were living in, I don't know, like in Hollywood, then you're going to run into like actors and stuff like that. And it's more part of uh, like your, your lifestyle that you're interacting with on a regular basis. And it can feel like 
something that you could actually do because you're actually associating with it. Like I grew up in a very small area of, of, you know, Eastern Canada that was super rural. Like the idea of being like a tech founder was, I might as well be talking about like, yeah, I'm going to go on a spaceship and land on the moon. But then moving to the Bay area, it feels like something that's much more tangible and real because you're meeting people who've done it. And, and yeah, it, you know, I think it feels in some ways like a little bit more attainable too, because it's, it's not this thing you, you read about in books or you've seen shows or, or whatever. It's like, Hey, no, I actually now know people who have done it and they've walked me through how they're able to do it. And so it's definitely one of those things where it's like, you know, you kind of like bite off a little piece at a time and, and just work your way through it. But yeah, I mean, I think probably the best thing I've ever done in my career is just go to a place where, um, you know, the thing that I was interested in was the thing of that city. Like this is what people do in San Francisco, which is, you know, definitely good and bad in some ways. It feels a little bit like a monoculture at times. Um, but if that's what you're interested in, then there's a great place to do it. You know, if you're interested in finance, like you should probably go to New York and, and do it there. It's not to say you can't do it anywhere else, but if you really want to immerse yourself into it, I think you have to go to the place where, you know, where the epicenter is. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about you're, you know, going to probably be surrounding yourself by people who are, have a, a ton of talent and whatever that speciality is. Like if you're looking for the best people in finance, you know, you're probably going to have it be over indexed in that in, in places like New York or maybe London. And if you're looking for the people who are the best in the world of tech, they, they don't necessarily all exist in the Bay Area, but you're going to have a heavy concentration here. So there's something about sort of leveling yourself up by surrounding yourself by excellence in, the, in one specific area that you're interested in. Yeah. And I think like, you know, to your question earlier about just like, what has it been been like a founder? I think um, it becomes really humbling too. you know, you go to this, you come to the Bay Area or wherever there's, you know, a large epicenter or whatever you're interested in. And you kind of realize you're like, wow, there's a lot of really smart, great people doing this stuff. And like, you know, maybe I wasn't as good as I, at this thing that I thought I was or, uh, you know, it kind of forces you to take like a really um, like honest look at yourself and, and say, like, what 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 can I be good in? And, you know, like, what are my skills? Um, and I think as a founder, you do that a lot. You know, you maybe come from like a corporate background or startups like I did. And, um, you know, in some ways you kind of get told like, hey, like you're, you're great at what you do and and you're kind of being brought up all the time. And then you become a founder. You're like, wait, that thing that I thought I was really good at, maybe, I, maybe I'm not that good at it. You know, maybe I really need to be honest with myself and, and think about where do I need help and, and who can I go and ask for that help? Um, and so that's been a really interesting and kind of like fun process to go through is just kind of like level setting, you know, yourself, your expectations and your skill set with, you know, where you're trying to go and try to figure out what's the delta there. Mm -hmm. So when did you first start actually working on Nucleus? Um Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I talked to my co-founder Nick about it for, for a while, um, for probably like six months, almost to a year. And then towards the end of 2021, I think December 9th, 2021, I remember that day being specific, like sitting in and Nick's apartment and then kind of getting up our first uh, GCP account. Uh, and that's when we said, okay, well, let's actually see what it's like to build you know, a POC or an MVP of this. Um, that was when we first started writing you know, our first couple lines of code, but we had been talking about it for you know, almost a year before then, just thinking about like, what is it actually that we're trying to solve? You know, what is, what is the first thing that we want to do? And eventually where does this lead to? Like if we continue to pull on that thread, where do we think this goes? And you kind of like look at across all these dimensions of, you know, where's the industry going? What are the trends? What are people doing? You know, what are like the headwinds and the tailwinds? Um, and then eventually we kind of came to this you know, conclusion that we were just like, we think there could be something interesting here. We know we're in the ballpark, you know, whether or not we do this exact thing um, remains to be seen, but at least we're really passionate about the industry and we think it's something that's growing and moving in the right direction. So let's just get started and kind of just see where the ride takes us. 
And were you talking to, you know, other, you know, uh, people in the tech world uh, while you were sort of doing this discovery on your own or having these conversations with your co-founder? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's probably one of the most important things before you ever actually start, you know, writing any code or doing anything is you have to go just talk to customers and really try to understand what is it that people are struggling with. Um, and I think that is probably the single most important thing you can do. And And once you get your head wrapped around um, what is it that real people who are in the positions to potentially buy what I eventually hopefully will have? Um, what is it that they want? And what is the problem that they're struggling with? And then you can go back to those folks later on and, and you know, kind of offer them what you already have. But, um, you know, we spent, I spent a couple of months just doing that, talking to 40 plus CTOs and just trying to understand as you are an early stage company and as you start to grow, you know, how do you think about your architecture? How do you think about your infrastructure? What are some of the challenges you see, both from a people and a technology perspective? Uh, and then trying to zero in on, you know, what are those exact problems and, and how big of a problem is it really? Um, so, yeah, we spent, spent a lot of time doing that. Yeah, one of the things that uh, the founder of Engineering Capital, Ashmeet Sadana, had said to me was that, in his opinion, basically his best advice for a founder is that you can't talk to customers enough or you can't talk to potential people enough because that's how you do discovery. That's how you improve the product. And I think actually one mistake that I made when I was a, was a founder is we did a lot of conversations early and then we're like, okay, we, we kind of know what we should build now and we built it. And then we kind of stopped those conversations yeah. and it almost killed the company. And then we, we basically like had to reboot everything. We went in a disastrous direction and then everything started again with, talking to people essentially and just having those conversations. And that was something that, you know, we learned that harsh lesson and we kept that up throughout the, the rest of the, the journey with that startup. But um, we, we made that mistake essentially of this, like cutting off the input from prospects and customers. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I, I think things change so fast, especially nowadays, like there's just so many tools for, to do so many different things. And, you know, people's like, senti uh, like sentiment changes about certain tools, certain like groups of tools or categories or solutions or even problems. And so you have to kind of keep your pulse on, on what's going on and what are people excited about and what are they not excited about? Um, and so we've tried to continue to do that. Um, you definitely, I think one of the sort of one of the traps you can fall into to your point as a founder is like, you feel like, okay, I have a good idea of the problem and I'm just going to go kind of like in a dark room and build for six months. Um, because coding is fun and building stuff is fun and, you know, getting rejected by people isn't fun. And so you have to like work really hard to kind of push against that and say, no, like this is the right thing for me to do, even if I want to go do something else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's the skill set as a founder that you, if you don't have that, you have to basically develop or you're, you're probably not going to be successful. So in terms of the problem that you set out to solve, like what was that problem and then how has it sort of changed over time? Yeah, I, you know, I think initially and um, in some ways kind of so what we're solving is is trying to help um, developers, but really teams at a high level um, become more productive and um, not focus so much on building infrastructure from scratch and managing it. And the way that we do that is you know, by containerizing applications and being able to deploy those on uh, multiple clouds and then offering you know, a range of tools um, and products to be able to manage like the lifecycle of those applications and so on. You know, but at sort of the meta level, the idea is still developers, DevOps teams, platform teams still spend too much time working on something that isn't the core product that actually makes you money as a business. And so how do we help refocus those folks and give them the tools they need to be able to automate things that are manual or tedious so they can focus on the thing that actually drives value for the company? And then 
you're the CEO and your co-founder, I believe, is the CTO. Is that right? Yep. How did you kind of decide on that role split? Um, you know, in some ways, it was really natural just based on our skill sets. Um, you know, Nick has been a software engineer um, for the last 10 years. And so he was, yeah, much, much better technically than me and definitely the right person for that role. Um, and whereas I had more experience on the product and the uh, sort of sales side. So naturally, uh, you know, Nick had said, hey, I'm going to take over the, the technology and, and the building and lead that part of it. And I said, I'm going to take over the, you know, the sales and the marketing part of it. And I think, you know, I, I talked to a number of YC companies and folks were thinking about getting into YC because we had gone through it. And one of the questions they always ask is, you know, how did you split up responsibilities, especially if the team is entirely technical? Um, and the advice I always give them is you have to have really clear bounds on who makes decisions at the end of the day in what domain area. If you have an entirely technical team, you guys can talk about, you know, architecture and what the right approach is and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, one person, I, I really believe this has to be responsible for it. And they have to say, I'm going to make this decision. I've listened to all the inputs, but at the end of the day, it's my decision. I'm going to run with it. So I think if you diffuse that responsibility, you can get really muddy with who's responsible for what. And yeah, that can lead to other potential issues kind of downstream. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, you need the basically the DRI, the directly responsible individual. So exactly. that, yeah, like it's, it's it, not every decision can be made by committee, essentially, and arguably like developing software or, or companies by committee is probably a bad idea. Yeah. So. You started, you know, um, the early ideas and the early prototyping while also essentially, you know, working as a full-time product manager. And it's not like you had some, you know, low effort, low responsibility job. You were a product lead at a, you know, fast growing startup. So how did you kind of like balance starting a company with, you know, uh, uh, leading a full-time job? And Yeah, I mean, I think um, part of it was just, just, the hours, honestly, I don't know if there's a there's a way around it. Um, you know, it was working at Skyflow with uh, with you and the team for the majority of the day, and I think what was interesting was like we had you know a big team offshore, um, and and so like the hours were always interesting because we had like the morning hours, then you had the nighttime hours to sync with you know our, our other team. Um, so trying to find you know maybe an hour or two during the week to talk about it um, with Nick and anybody else I wanted to have a call with. Um, but really is spending the weekends and just kind of dedicating myself and um, and saying like, hey, this is something I'm really interested in. I want to see it through and I want to see where it takes me. So I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, the Saturdays and the Sundays when I could be doing anything else. Um, and so that was tough. You know, I did that for, for probably about seven months where pretty much every single weekend it was um, talking to Nick, talking to potential customers, to doing just discovery calls, um, doing some coding, doing some building. Um, and then during the week, you know, going back and focusing on the day job. Um, and there's, you know, lessons learned there. Like there's a part of me that says like, you know, was that the right, the right thing to do? But it depends, right? It depends on your own personal situation. And uh, for me, I just wasn't in a position where I could say, hey, I'm going to take six to 12 months off and just kind of like play around with some ideas and see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a tough choice for, for anybody, especially living in the Bay area, it's not like, uh, right. the cost of living is, is, uh, is, is low or anything like that. You need to, you need to be able to eat. But so you mentioned that you were, you ended up, uh, going through Y Combinator. So why was that something that you were interested in doing? And what was the backup plan if you weren't accepted into YC? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think YC has obviously a brand, um, not just in sort of like Silicon Valley, San Francisco, the Bay area, but also just generally in the world. And so I think for us, we had said, okay, well, one, it's a really good program and we're going to get, you know, hopefully really great guidance, which we did. 
Um, but also there's, you know, there's something to be said about sort of like the signaling of going through YC and um, being able to talk to investors, talk to potential customers. And so it felt like it was the right mix of we're still early enough just in our founder journey and our kind of like product and kind of problem journey that YC can help shape that. Um, we're going to get a great sort of founder community, both with the people that are going through the batch with, but also previous YC founders. Um, and then also it opens doors to be able to talk to investors and um, and sort of have other sort of like connections and channels to go through. So uh, it made sense to go through it. Um, you know, in terms of the backup plan, I think the backup plan was just continue working on it and just see where it takes us. Um, you know, if we didn't get in that batch, you know, maybe try again and apply. Um, otherwise, just kind of like keep hammering on it until it gets to a point where we say, hey, this is working. So great, we're going to go full time and try to get you know funding from investors or this isn't working. Let's go try something else. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely you know, plan A, but um, if it didn't work, it's not like we we're going to say, hey, we're, we're just done with this. Like we were only in it to do YC. And then what was that experience like going through YC? Uh, it was a very busy, like three months. <laughs> it was, a, but it was fun. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I think the good thing about YC is they put a lot of urgency on you and sometimes more than you probably would have placed on yourself. Urgency to work, to talk to customers, to, um, to ideate. Um, and, and to validate if what you're doing is the right thing and if, if you actually have a real market in, in terms of the product that you're selling. And so, um, you know, there was a lot of like late nights, a lot of weekends worked. Um, you know, we, we, I set those expectations that Nick did too with sort of our, you know, our personal circle and said, hey, like this is the thing for the next three to four months. Like we're 100% focused on this. We really can't do anything else. Um, but luckily you don't go through it alone. I think the founder like community that comes out of it is so important because Everybody's in the same boat. You know, some people may be a little bit further on in terms of like their their company life cycle. Um, some are earlier on. And so you can kind of see like, hey, I can go talk to somebody who's six months ahead of me and I can see like, what are the challenges and, and how did you deal with those? How did you think about this? And so it was, um, you know, really busy and, and exciting. Um, but you also had a lot of support at the same time. Yeah, it makes sense. So the... And I think I think that's important because you know, it can be kind of a lonely journey when you're you're trying to build a company, and you see sometimes a lot of companies that feel much more successful than you, and, and it's easy to get into a place where you're like, you know, what are they doing that we're not doing, and right. you know, uh, and and getting to this like comparison game essentially. But if you're actually you know networking with some of these people, I think you get the inside track. And the reality is like the the like. Instagram version of every startup looks way more polished than the reality behind the scenes. Like it's always a disaster behind the scenes. Uh, and, but you just don't see that unless you're actually talking to, to the founders and the people who help build it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think like, at least what I've found generally is that a lot of founders are pretty open about their own founder journey, especially ones, at least in my experience, um, who are much further ahead, like several years ahead of you. You know, they're, they're, I've always, they're always really honest about, um, how things were in the early days um, because they, at that point they're already past it. Right. And they have something that's maybe working or whatever, but um, they always say like, yeah, this took us, you know, three years to get this point we were pivoting every six months or, or whatever the challenges were. Um, and it's really cool to get that, that honest feedback from them and say like, Hey, this challenge that we're going through or that we're trying to figure out, um, we're not alone in and founders I found are generally pretty open to helping other founders. Um, you just have to kind of be the one to ask. And so I think as long as you're willing to kind of like put yourself out there and just try and get some of that honest feedback, um, I think there's you know, a community out there that can help. Yeah, I found that as well. And I think partly that is, you know, no, you know, most founders, 
presumably they didn't really do do it alone right there was other people who mentored and helped them along the way so a lot of times they want to kind of pay that back because they they got that experience and they remember you know so and so helping them so why aren't they gonna take you know 30 minutes to talk to somebody over coffee or something like that to help them on their journey so besides essentially some of the network that you built and also the opportunity to pitch investors and the profile that you get from being part of yc can you share any specific examples of how you were able to utilize you know, some of the feedback or mentorship that you received from the program to help actually build your startup? Yeah, you know, I think probably the main thing that comes to mind is you know, YC is really good at getting you to distill what you do and the value that you bring to like a very, very concise almost sentence or two sentences. And it focuses you to be very clear on what it is that you exactly do. And I think like definitely this was our case um, in the, like the very, very early, like the first couple months, you kind of have an idea, even if you're like, okay, I know this is the problem that I want to go after, but like, how do I actually communicate that to someone? And, you know, I remember towards the end of YC, we were going through demo day and demo day was 60 seconds. You had 60 seconds to summarize what you do, you know, your market, how you help that market, um, your traction, all of these things. And you're kind of like, you, you, you know, when you're coming up to it, you're like, wow, this is really, really hard. And then once you actually get something down, you're like, 60 seconds is actually kind of a lot of time when I know exactly what I want to say. And so I think that's, in my mind, what YC was really helpful for us for was just really helping us distill and kind of organize our thoughts um, and our value prop and, and all of those things that help you communicate about what it is that you exactly do. And, you know, you have uh, meetings with partners every single week to help through this. You have sort of like more group meetings. You do a lot of like practice pitching. Um, you do a lot of just practice when it comes to, I think that's one thing that's been really surprising as a founder is like, I never expected to be doing so much like pitching, practice pitching, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. like you obviously pitch to customers, but you're doing a lot of video recording and you're doing a lot of like pitching to a group of, of people who are going to give you feedback. Um, but it's really helpful at the end of the day because they can really help guide you with like, Hey, this is resonating, but you know, this isn't so much. So you probably want to work on that. Yeah. I'm sure it's super painful in the moment, but it's oh, also yeah. like, <laughs> it's the only way to get better. Uh, and it's much better to like stumble or have challenges in that context. than you're in the context of you're in front of the, the partners at a, a venture capital firm and you, you know, you screw up the pitch or you're in front of, you know, potentially your first customer and you screw that up. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think like, you know, YC and, and the community there, like they're, they're pretty, pretty honest. Um, yeah. Maybe in some cases brutally honest, but I found that that's the best way to get real feedback. So you don't like not everybody's going to give you real feedback, especially if you go in front of you know, some investors, they're going to say, hey, yeah, they're going to give you every other reason of why they're not investing other than like, we just don't believe in this. And I think as a founder, you eventually get to the point where you're like, just give me the no. Like, I want that. I don't want the hope. You know, I, I want you to tell me no so that I know it's a no and we can keep moving forward. Um, I think YC does a really good job of that, but you don't always get that in the real world. So once you graduated from YC, uh, you raised some money sort of what was the the first step or sort of the first order of business to 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 really like start to build this thing yeah you know i think the first thing we did as soon as we had um raised most of our round was really start thinking about the team start thinking about like who do we want to hire um what does this person look like um what does the position look like what are the skills that we want them to have where do we want them to be we had made a decision really early on that we wanted everybody to be in san francisco um because we just believed in person was so important. Um, and that was a really painful decision because we came across a lot of uh, people in our network, people that we had worked with that we knew that we were like, hey, we work really well with this person and, and we know that they do great work. 
but they were not based here. And if they're not willing to move here, we unfortunately, like, we just had to make the decision to say, are we willing to do this? Yes or no. And we, we said, no, we're not willing to do it. Um, so that, you know, creates sort of a profile of, okay, we need somebody here. We know we needed somebody who is going to um, be sort of a founding engineer, founding backend engineer. Um, and then we started doing a lot of interviews. And I think one of the interesting things that happens when you try and hire your first person or your first teammate is you kind of figure out, like, how do you interview well? And how do you actually look for those signals that you're like, okay, this person could be a really good fit for us. Um, and we made a ton of mistakes along the way. We changed our interview process like a bunch of times with doing technical interviews up front, then doing more cultural you know, after that, flipping that around and just trying to figure out like for you know, our own styles, like how do we try and find the right person for us? Um, so that was sort of order number, you know, order of business number one. Um, and we spent a lot of time on that. I think you have to do it to, hopefully get the right person. Yeah. Had you had much experience with actually interviewing for engineering roles previously? Um, not so much, to be honest. I think, uh, you know, definitely Nick had more experience, but I'd always been more on the sort of like product side. So I'd talked to a lot of engineers, but I was never the one responsible for hiring them. And I think when you have the responsibility on you, it kind of changes the game a little bit. It changes how you think about the interview, how you approach it, you know, the questions that you ask. So that was definitely a big learning process for me. And yeah, I relied a lot on Nick to kind of help, help me and help guide me through that. Um, so that was, that was fun to go through. And I think, yeah, I'm a little bit better at it now, but yeah, definitely still a lot more to learn. And then how do you, how did you essentially, you know, generate or, uh, you know, like candidate pipeline or actually go about recruiting? Cause I think that's one of the hardest things to do when you, especially as an early stage company, there's only a very subset small group of people who are even, you know, willing to entertain that, but then you're just such an unknown quantity or right. that, you know, like it's a big leap of faith to move from maybe a job that's somewhat secure to something that's like a, at a seed stage. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, we did it in a couple different ways, you know, YC has like this internal job board that you can apply if you call to work at a startup. Um, we got some, you know, some leads or inbounds through that. Um, we relied really heavily on our network um, because we wanted to try and hopefully find somebody that we had worked with in the past. And, you know, really luckily we did, and she's incredible. Um, and then we also explored other things too. Like we explored posting on LinkedIn. We explored posting on the normal job boards. Um, we explored using a recruiter. And, you know, some of those things worked for us and some of those didn't. I think in some ways, like when you post a, to, you know, Indeed and LinkedIn, uh, and you kind of have some of these initial interviews, like you're also, like I mentioned, like you're also kind of like figuring out the kinks and trying to figure out like, what is your own interview process like? Um, and so like our, our kind of like thought process was, let's just have a lot of interviews to start with, to see kind of like one who's out there and who's interested in what we're doing, but then also two, to refine our own process uh, and just get better at it. Um, and so we did that for the first couple of months and yeah, eventually we, we found a really good person to join us. Yeah, I guess it's similar to like being on the flip side as a candidate, you might want to, you know, burn a few interviews before you go and you interview with your, you know, top choice or something like that, because you need a little bit of practice. And I think that's true for people who are interviewing candidates and trying to figure out, especially at your stage, like trying to figure out like, what does cultural fit mean for our company? And, you know, what values are we looking for? And what were some of the things that you were looking for in a founding engineer outside of, you know, just the pure engineering skills? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the thing that Nick and I always talked about was somebody who had a really high slope. Like, if you didn't know all the tools we used, we were willing to say, that's that's okay. You know, we can teach you Kubernetes. We can teach you how to write in Golang. We can teach you these, like, engineering skills. 
but you need to be able to pick that up fairly quickly and then continue to grow and continue to have like a high aptitude for learning. And so, you know, we were much more willing to take somebody who was hungry um, than somebody who was like kind of like this rock star, superstar engineer from, you know, whatever company. Um, so we were looking for those kind of characteristics, somebody who knew that working at an early stage startup is going to be hard and you're going to have to put in a lot of work, um, but wanted to learn. And we felt like if we can find somebody who has that high ceiling and has that high slope, um, we can teach the skills because those are fairly easy compared to somebody who has the right attitude and has the right approach to working. So we tried to really over-index, I think, more on what is like the personality of the person and what what kind of like what gets them excited. You know, is it working on a hard problem? Is it working on a particular industry? Um, and really trying to like, you know, not psychoanalyze, but kind of psychoanalyze um, kind of who they are and try to figure out like, based on what they want and what we want, is it a good fit? And really early on, we would, and even honestly to this day, I still tell people, I'm like, you have to like us. Like you're going to be working a lot with us and we may love you, but if you don't like us, like, you know, it's not going to be a good fit. And so we really want to find a place or find somebody who um, is a good fit both ways and, and really try to be respectful of like their time and kind of what they want, their motivations. Yeah, I, I absolutely hundred uh, percent agree with that. I mean, in a lot of ways you're, you're building, it's, you know, like dating, you're, you're building uh, like a relationship with this person. They're going to have a relationship with you and be spending a lot of time together. So they, they hopefully like you <laughs> if they're going to commit at that level. Um, and uh, well, in terms of, um, you know, beyond hiring, what, what are some of the other big challenges that you faced over the first year as a founder? You know, I think um, one of the hardest problems that I think we continue to face is it's just like we're an unknown quantity. We're, we're just new. And I, I, you know, I never really knew how to frame it like, uh, and how to actually say it. But eventually, I think recently I've kind of come to this, the term, which I call it like, it's like a cold start problem. It's like for what we do, you know, we deploy infrastructure into your cloud account. And that takes a lot of trust that comes with that. Same, you know, with that Skyflow, it's like Skyflow handles your PII data. Well, people need to trust you in order to be able to do that. But, you know, you need people like you're trying to sell something and you're saying, hey, like, hey, trust me, but you don't know who I am. We don't really have a lot of references. Um, by the way, we're going to ask for a lot of permissions. Uh, we're going to ask for a lot of these things and we'll try to do our best. And like you know, you're asking a lot, right, for somebody who, who doesn't know anything about you uh, and it becomes this kind of like chicken and the egg problem. And you try to solve it in all these different ways and try to have a brand. And you know, as you get customers, you kind of like publish case studies and put their logo on your website and. Um, I think for a lot of companies, you kind of have this problem where it's like, I, you know, I want you to use my product, but on the other side, you also have to, you kind of be cognizant and self-aware that it's a person making this buying decision. And depending on what your product is, it can be really, really critical and in the hot path, um, or maybe not so, but in either way, it's still somebody buying it. It was investing in you. And that's something I think a lot about is like, how do I reduce the risk of, you know, sort of like reduce the risk that this person has to think about when they go to make a decision on if they want to buy us or not. Um, and there's, you know, different ways that we can do that. But I think that's probably the hardest thing is how do you build that trust within the market, within the industry? Um, and it's really hard in the beginning and, you know, slowly you kind of probably get better at it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of companies struggle with, especially companies that are building sort of like technical tool, either like dev tooling or some sort of like SaaS product, SaaS offering, How, you know, what, what strategies have you used that have helped actually build, you know, trust to lead to, uh, you know, either, you know, customers or in, at least people engaging in conversation with you? 
Yeah, you know, there's been a couple of things that we used. One is um, as we've started to acquire customers, um, just talking about those customers and, and having them be reference calls. And, you know, our, our first few customers, I kind of always told them, I was like, you know, you guys are really investing in us and, and I'm totally aware of that. And I'm hoping that you can be available for reference calls to other customers and, and at least just talking talking to them about your thought process that you went through when you decided to use us. And those early customers are your biggest advocates at the end of the day. And, you know, we, we have some of our customers have been just incredible with taking reference calls from other customers, from investors, and just really, really kind of like fighting for us. And so that was one of the first things I did was as we started to get those customers, really just really try to like galvanize them into being champions for us, um, not just within their own organizations, but like with, within the broader market. Um, you know, outside of, outside of that, I think as an early stage company, like in the early days, all you have is the team and you really have to be able to put your own personal brand forward and say, you know, us as a team, we have, you know, this many years working on these problems and this is how we've solved them in the past. And if you're talking to somebody, um, yeah, they can typically pretty quickly kind of decipher if, what you're saying is legit. And if, and if kind of like if, if you are legit in some ways too, right? Like you're able to use the industry terms and talk about like these edge cases that, oh, hey, this is how we solve this. By the way, we have to think about all these other things. They'll say, okay, well, I know that, you know, these people are, you know, they've thought about this problem at depth. And that starts to maybe reduce that risk a little bit versus somebody who is maybe brand new in an industry, has never worked in it and just doesn't really understand it. I think that becomes a little bit of a tougher challenge. So I think just like leveraging just our own experience and our own um, kind of like personal just brand and just saying like, we know that we're young and, and being upfront about it, but here's how we've kind of solved these problems in the past. And hopefully here's why you can trust us. Yeah. So part of this, like building trust essentially through expertise and being right. like uh, knowledgeable about the area and the things that you're talking about, you know, I imagine at some point, um, and I don't know if you've reached this point yet, but it's no longer going to be sort of, you know, founder led sales. And then you need to depend on like salespeople to be able to translate that message and be able to meet, you know, potential customers at the level that they want to be met at. And then it becomes a whole other challenge around like, how do I essentially enable someone who maybe is not an expert to show that the company has this expertise to solve these problems? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we're we're not quite there yet. Um, partially because I just like doing sales, so I continue to do it. Um, but I think at some point, yeah, it becomes a real challenge. And um, yeah, there's a lot of advice out there of like, when do you hire your first salesperson, and um, you know, who do you hire, what position do you hire them for? But um, yeah, it's like, how, how do you, how do they sort of like um, by osmosis or like get some of the trust that you built with the you know, with customers, and and sort of like push that back out? Um, and it becomes a real problem. Um, I'm sure we'll yeah face it at some point. Yeah. And it, you know, what are some of the, you know, key achievements or, you know, milestones that you're most proud of that you've been able to achieve in this, in, in the first year of operating as a business? Um, yeah, you know, I think our, the first one and, and probably the most important one was, um, you know, when we launched, we launched our product back in January. So January 17th, we kind of went out to the world. Um, and within the first quarter, you know, we sort of had uh, had booked over $100,000 in revenue. We had closed a number of customers. And um, that was really cool. That was really validating to know that, you know, people are investing in us and they're taking a risk on us. Um, but we're still providing a lot of value back to them. So it's been really fun to kind of just to continue to see our growth from, from a revenue perspective, from a customer perspective, but also from like a usage perspective. Uh, and just try to help people solve really interesting problems. I think that's one of the funnest parts is kind of watching how people use your product and just say like, 
wait, why are you doing that? That's like, I never expected you to do that. And then you ask them about it. They're like, oh, well, I was trying to do this other thing. You're like, oh, that's really interesting. We hadn't thought about that as a product. Like, what would that mean to you if we could do this? And so like, that's also been really rewarding as well. And I think um, that drives a lot of our roadmap is just trying to talk to customers and say, like, what is it that you're exactly trying to accomplish and how can we help you do that? So like, that is the first thing I think outside of that, you know, building the team has been really, really fun. Um, it's been a big learning process for, for both Nick and I. Um, super proud of that. I think, you know, we spend so much time together. Um, we just got a new office and it's like four of us sitting in one big conference room effectively. And so just having a team that, you know, you really get along with um, personally, but also professionally and you enjoy spending time with and you work together well has been great. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, building or raising our round and um, you know, giving us a little bit of firepower to, to try and take this challenge on. Yeah, it's awesome. And then, you know, for anybody who's listening to thinking about starting a company, what advice would you give them? Um, that's a great question. You know, I think the first one is just get out there and just start talking to customers um, and start asking the right questions. Um, I think, Sean, maybe you had recommended this to me or I, some, I thought it was you. You had said you should read the mom test, um, that book. And uh, yeah, I remember reading it and I was like, this is great. And, you know, it really shows you how to ask questions in the right way. And so I think being able to go out there and say, like, I need to go talk to a customer, a real customer, somebody who doesn't know me, who has no incentive to effectively lie to me and tell me that my idea is great and they're definitely going to buy it. Um, and ask them, like, hey, what problems do you have and, and how impactful are those problems and what would it mean to you if we could solve that? Um, I think that's by far the most important thing and really starting to zero in on um, what is the right problem space I want to be in. Um, so I think as long as you start doing that, um, I think you're... Uh, you're doing the right thing. And then along the way, you know, starting to maybe starting to put something together that you can actually show somebody and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. And we, you know, we talked a little bit about that earlier. Um, I, I, I think you just, you can't talk to, you know, potential customers or, you know, prospects enough, especially in the early days of just trying to figure out, you know, what problem do we need to solve and what are people actually willing to pay for this thing? Like is the pain point big enough that they're willing to, to, you know, pay you to essentially remove that pain. And that's such a foundational part of the, of building any successful product. Um, so I think like you, you just can't emphasize that enough. And that, if that's something that doesn't sort of fall into your skill set, because you're like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a builder, I'm an engineer. I don't want to have to talk to people. You need to either get over that or team up with someone who has that skill set essentially, because yeah. it's just, you can't really, you know, whiteboard, build something like that, uh, you know, build a successful product in a, in a vacuum. And I think like, yeah, the way I, the way I think about it is like the inverse is so much worse. Like imagine spending three or four years doing something that like effectively will have no value and nobody really cares about. Like that sounds awful. And so like you can think about it one of two ways, you know, it's either like, what's going to motivate you? Is it going to be like, Hey, I want to work on something really fun. Or is it going to you know take the inverse of it and be like, wow, like what if I start building something and nobody cares about it? And I just spent six months, maybe a year, maybe two years, and I could have kind of foregone all of that if I had just gone and talked to people about it. And so like that, you know, I remember somebody telling me that once and I was like, I never thought about it that way, but like, it's so true. You know, like your time is so precious, right? Like what's the opportunity cost of doing anything in the world? And the, and the opportunity cost of spending two years doing something that nobody cares about is so high that it's like, that should scare you enough where you're like, I need to go talk to people about this and get some real feedback uh, and real perspectives and see if this is something that makes sense for me to like dedicate, you know, potentially seven to 10 years of my life to. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of things that you can do to get feedback on a product idea without actually like building anything, you know, low yep. fidelity prototyping can be even just, you know, things on a piece of paper that you're showing people and, and, and sort of doing that, you know, user experience testing, or you can get to a place where you're, you're mocking things up. And even as something as simple as like PowerPoint, there's lots of ways to kind of like fake it to test an idea before you invest, you know, months or years into a project. Yeah. And I think like, you know, people generally love talking about their problems. You kind of just have to let them talk and you have to ask the right questions. And yeah, that's definitely a skill in itself. Um, But I think if you can just approach it by being really humble and just saying like, look, I have nothing to sell you because I literally don't have anything. I'm just trying to understand what is it that you struggle with. And if you're willing to spend, you know, 15 minutes with me, I'd really appreciate it. Um, And just taking that approach, I think can, can lead you, you know, pretty far. Um, And yeah, I've definitely like, I think if you just put yourself out there, I've definitely had been really surprised with um, who has responded to me and, and who has been willing to share their time with me. Well, awesome. Thank you. Uh, I think that's a great place to, to start to wrap up. Evis, I want to thank you so much for being here and uh, you know sharing essentially your journey through your first year as a, as a, a founder and also uh, you know experience with YC and some of the lessons that you learned along the way. And I think you provided some great advice to anybody out there, you know, even considering the idea of starting a company. And we'll definitely have to have you back to do some uh, you know more engineering deep dive into everything that's going on you know behind the scenes of, of, of your product. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's been, it's been great to catch up. Good to see you again. Cheers.